It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Well, we know July is almost over, but we promised you a podcast every month this offseason, and, and, and July's not done yet, so uh, we're back to present you with the Around the Nation podcast for July 2016. Uh, I'm Pat Coleman. I'll be uh, joined by Keith McMillan, and uh, Keith, you know, this has been out for a week, but hey, you know, there haven't been any games played yet, so this is still the most current ranking. We're talking, of course, about the uh, D3Football.com preseason top 25 and it's a pretty interesting preseason result. And just kind of looking at the ballots for a second, Wesley gets votes ranging from number six overall to number 21. And I think one person even left them off their ballot entirely. Uh, consensus on Linfield and St. Thomas is pretty non-existent. They each got votes in each of the top six spots and, and no more than nine votes at any of those. Um, Wabash and St. John's coming off great seasons but losing a ton of talent. Uh, including, I think, the best running back in school history at each of those schools, uh, got votes at uh, as high as number five, and then, again, uh, at the other end, getting left entirely off ballots there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting part was the, um, you know, it was right there at the top, the, the debate, the internal debate, I guess, as a voter that you have with yourself um, on who to, who to put number one because, you know, everything, your whole ballot starts from there and, it, you know, it flows downward. I um I didn't think there was like a clear cut no brainer, and I, I you know I realized that uh, that the voters maybe disagreed. There's 18 um, number one votes for Mount Union, three each for Linfield and Whitewater, one for St. Thomas, um, and probably to be quite honest, you know it was worth considering um, Mary Harden Baylor as well, even though they went out I believe in the second round of the playoffs last year with the with the early loss to Linfield. Um, when you really sit down and look what all these teams have. Coming back, you know, for for me, um, you know, you're trying to project 2016 and not just rehash what happened at the end of 2015. And, you know, you, you look at Mountain Union um, graduating so many of their key players and, and not bringing um, a lot of them back. Now, obviously, they play JV and they have guys with experience. You know, they're not brand new to football, obviously, but um, – but Linfield you know, brings a star quarterback back, and there aren't too many of those uh, in the top you know, 10. Um, St. Thomas replaced a lot. And, and to me, I actually, uh, I actually ended up on Whitewater, but it probably was you – know, I had to go through a couple of um, iterations of, of, uh, of, of a top five to seven before I could really settle on number one, and then it was able to, to kind of go down the ballot from there. And then I think the other thing that really pops out or that – kind of incumbent on us as preseason voters to do is um is to find the teams that are that are haven't been top 25 teams that are going to break through so that's why when you go down to others receiving votes you know you see 40 i don't know how many teams that is down there but you see every everything from you know barry to claremont mud scripts to to depaul to albion and 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 hendrix and teams that were like kind of on the cusp last year um you know, one of the one I liked was St. Lawrence. Another one I liked was Stevenson, who we'll talk about on the podcast. But teams that uh, have a lot of starters back to begin with and also have been pretty good last season but haven't quite broken through yet. Yeah, I think that uh, at the bottom of that group every year, there's always a little bit of churn. We try to uh, collect information on 50 to 60 schools in any given year. And, you know, usually at the you know, at the at the end, when I'm trying to figure out who are the schools we're going to talk to or, or try to get this information from, I'm like, well, so who got any votes in any of the last couple of polls? 
and uh, you know maybe go back to the previous preseason polls. Who were the teams that uh, we thought might be good that for whatever reason didn't pan out, but might bounce back? Um, you know, in the case of the SAA, I think we solicited information from three schools: uh, Barry, Hendricks, and Center, and we got information from two of them. And you know, it's just kind of a uh, it, it's as much a, that part is as much a crapshoot as uh, the rest of a, a preseason poll process, just figuring out who might be worth considering. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, maybe the older I get, the more I do this, the less I like the preseason part of the voting because I like to have something, some some actual games to crunch or more, more data to work with. But um, it is kind of fun to do the projection part of it where you, where you think, okay um, – there's really only, say, like at the top of the pack, let's just pick a, a conference. Thomas Moore is ranked 11th, Washington and Jefferson is others receiving votes. Well, there's really only one game, p- potentially, right? They usually both sweep the conference and they play this game against each other, and that decides who wins the conference. Well, you know, that means there's really only one game separating getting 44 points in the poll and being, you know, on the cusp of the top 10. So, um, again, a lot of it is incumbent on us as voters to kind of see ahead. To uh, to what may happen in 2016, and, and try to try to get a feel for um, for the teams that may break through. One of the things uh, for people to remember is that uh, even though there's a, there's a one through 25, and then there's all these others receiving votes. Uh, when Keith and I go through and we rank all 248 teams for a kickoff coming up here in <laughs> less than a month, oh crap. Um, we are not bound by the order of the others receiving votes, and sometimes uh, we just simply do not agree on uh, with what the rest of the voting population has uh, come up with. And I think when you, uh, if you go back and look at team number twenty-six in seasons past, uh, you can pretty much guess that those are the teams that we most thought uh, deserved to be in the preseason top twenty-five, and the rest of the voters just didn't seem to agree with us. Yeah, I mean, I and this happens a lot during the regular season too. But I know that there are several teams in others receiving votes that I was, I may have given some of them the, those votes, and there are teams that are in the top twenty-five, um, you know, that I don't think will be in there this year. But that's why there's twenty-five voters in the in the poll, and not just one or two. And that is why it's a poll and not just a ranking. But now we're getting off into minutia, which is not the sort of stuff we deal with uh, in the offseason. We deal with minutia during the season. That's what this podcast is all about. Um, let's see. Moving on. Uh, in uh, Earlier this month, much, much earlier this month, Keith, you and I and the rest of the D3Football.com uh, inner circle and the rest of the D3Sports.com inner circle got together uh, at Stevenson University. And we had some discussions about uh, what's coming up this year. Um, I don't remember. Did we announce on the podcast last month that Adam Turr is taking over the Around the Nation column? Yeah, I'm not sure it was it was publicly announced uh, either. Well, so Adam Turr is taking over the Around the Nation column, uh, and you know Keith and I will continue to do the podcast, and you'll see Adam's byline on some things, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna change up uh, we're gonna change up triple take a bit and uh, do some uh, interesting things with that. You know, we have this uh, massive project in front of us, uh, which maybe now as uh, we're recording this here the last week of July, we may not have gotten as far along as we'd like to be on this whole thing called kickoff, which we've talked about and hopefully you know what it is. But uh, Keith, what are the, some of the things we're looking forward to here uh, in this hellish production of the next month? Well, yeah, if, if the, you know, the very basics, if, uh, if this is your first time listening for whatever reason, uh, you know, welcome. Um, the very basics are that this is our preseason preview issue it's online only but we dreamed it up 
as sort of a pre preseason magazine uh, for D3, but because there's almost 250 schools right now and because we want to have information um, as late as possible up to after camps begin in August, uh, you know, we ne- we never want to do a print edition plus overhead. So, uh, so yeah, so we do it online. It's in, it's interactive. It'll, you know, you'll be able to put two team previews side by side and all these other kind of, uh, you know, you got the, the history, the schedules on the same page, uh, everything you possibly could possibly want about uh, D3 is in, in kickoff. But the part that, uh, that, that you and I sweat over um, is just kind of rounding up the staff because there are not just only 250, uh, almost 250 schools in D3, but there are almost 30 conferences that we have to deal with. And so that means, um, you know, with the exception of a few people who double up, you know, we have to get a staff of about 25 uh, writers together, and and most of them from last year were pretty good uh, and know their their conference as well. So we you know have those those same writers back, and, uh, and we have to find a, f- a few new ones, and that's always an adventure for us. Um, and then really kind of dreaming up all the other um, accoutrements that we put in put in kickoff, right? The features, the um, you know there the, we talk about uh, the the the. The teams beyond the top 25, the teams that won't be sleepers, um, we'll do our famous sort of question and answer grid, um, kind of predicting the year in a nutshell. Um, you know, we'll predict every conference. We will predict every player of the year, every uh, freshman of the year, all that stuff. So, um, I mean, that's that takes it's a big undertaking. And, and um, you know, I ne- I don't feel like I'm Far along, as far along as I want to be on it. Um, but I don't know if I ever, you know, if you and I, until the day we actually kind of wrap it up, I don't know if we ever feel like we're, uh, we're, we've done quite as well as we want to want to do a kickoff. And then every year it comes out and it's well done. And it's, uh, it's, it's something that we're proud of. I feel like uh, one of the previous 11 years, I actually felt like we were in good shape. And that was not, uh, that was thankfully, that was, that was actually true. That was not a false sense of security. Um, I did talk to my first two coaches today. Uh, one of those uh, be, uh, pieces of information I'll, I'll actually share a little bit later in response to a couple of uh, reader questions that we got on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I would tell you to tweet us, but of course we recorded this last night or you know maybe nights ago, depending on when you uh, actually get around to listening to it. So uh, <clears throat> you know we'll uh, we'll have to deal with that at some other point. Um, let's see. Uh, you talked about Mount Union briefly. Um, so they lost a lot of starters on both sides of the ball. At the Purple Raiders are going to get the benefit of a key transfer at wide receiver. Uh, if you listen to last season's podcast, you might recognize the name Malik Presley. That's a sophomore wide receiver who was a huge part of the FDU Florham offense. Had 309 receiving yards versus TCNJ, 225 versus Misericordia, but was fairly up and down the rest of the season, averaging under 80 yards a game the rest uh, in the other games. Of course, you know, at Mount Union, he wouldn't have to be the only option on offense, but that doesn't mean that OAC defensive backs might not have the kind of success that Delaware Valley did when he was held to four catches, 25 yards. Yeah, Keith, this is a guy who is about as well-known, I think, in Division Three as Pierre Garçon was at Norwich on his way to Mount Union. Impossible to project if he's the next Pierre Garçon even on the Division Three level, but what do you think about, uh, you know, guys transferring to Mount Union kind of in general in this at, at this point? Well, that's sort of the obvious comparison that that leaps to mind here, and, and the situations are similar because you're coming from, or, or you know, Malik Presley's coming from a program that uh, 
that isn't super successful. And as a as a competitor, if you feel like, hey, I can, uh, you know, I can do a little better than this, um, if I had a better team around me, you know, then then you know, there's no better team around you usually than uh, than Mount Union. So why not go out and, and try to do it? And because there's um, you know, there there's no penalty for uh, for transferring um, you know between D three schools, it really makes it um, if the school is willing to have you, you know, and and, and Generally, they don't they don't promise you anything, but you you coming in already knowing you can play and 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 pretty confident in yourself. It's a great challenge, I think. Uh, I think from you know for Malik, he's not uh, Pierre is not the only guy who's ever who's ever done it and been successful. There was Chris Denton, um, you know, and there, there's been transfers who who have made the move and not been successful. So um, so uh, that that you know that kind of makes it intriguing for us to watch. Uh, you know, from the FDU Florham side of things, you you. you Really has to bother you when um, you know you're trying to 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 build something and kind of go up a couple rungs in uh, in the conference that you play in and uh, and you finally get a guy who's super talented or at least is you know talented enough to have 300 yard 225 yard games um, you know and then you lose them but at the same time you know teams uh, no roster static teams lose guys all the time whether it be to injury or to to you know drop it out of school for some one reason or another. Um, so, uh, so, so this, you know, from the, from the loss standpoint, this, this really, this happens and it, it could be disappointing, but I think for us, especially with so few offensive players back from Mountain Union, I believe we count two starters. It, um, it's a, you know, something to watch, something to be intrigued about. FDU Forum three and seven last year. Uh, it's the same number of wins that they had combined the previous three seasons. And yeah, it's hard not to imagine that they might uh, take a step back after that. Um, we are continuing with our traditional uh, off-season podcast format for this uh, for this month. And so our guests here for this July podcast are uh, University of St. Thomas coach Glenn Caruso, Stevenson coach Ed Hoddle, and uh, Howard Payne coach and athletic director Hunter Sims, and we'll uh, hear from uh, them coming up in just a moment. But I'd, I'd also like to take this time to mention that the Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of Division Three football decision makers, coaches who need new equipment, who can influence decisions to replace turf, all sorts of things, just by sponsoring the Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here, right now, before we went to break, um, You know, just like they do about Squarespace and MailChimp and all those big-name podcasts that, uh, that you hear. And certainly... Devil. Uh, I, let me tell you, I've used <laughs> Squarespace and MailChimp now in the course of the last month or so. Probably solely because they've been pounded into my brain by um, you know folks from uh, all sorts of podcasts. Anyway, think about it. Drop us an email. Uh, you can reach me at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. Now we're joined on the Around the Nation podcast by University of St. Thomas head coach Glenn Caruso coming off of a uh, season in which I uh, went to the Stag Bowl for the second time uh, and uh, obviously made a, another run to Salem, coming up a little bit short. But, uh, uh, Coach, first of all, I guess, uh, uh, long belated congratulations on that. And uh, secondly, let me ask, you know, last year, obviously, a bit of a different type of off season. You guys had the opportunity to take part of your team to Italy, part of your team to Canada. Uh, that comes with full padded practices and a whole different level uh and opportunity for preparation how does that change now coming back into a season without that stuff 
Well, it certainly was a great offseason last year, and it was a lot of fun. It probably is not as big a, a difference as it was the first couple of years we did it. When we first did it in nine and then again in 12, um, we didn't have quite um, – we, we had it was a lot different than what we would do with our, our non-traditional practices so uh but it was great there's no doubt we you get an opportunity to be around the kids and and grow the team but you also get an opportunity to evaluate this offseason uh much better offseason in terms of uh the, the weight room and the the camaraderie that was able to be built in other ways off the field so uh we had a great time and looking forward to go back in a couple of years second uh, trip to the stag bowl this past season um you know you talked i think in the run up to the stag bowl about what you guys as a program and you had a coach as a coach had learned from that 2012 trip uh and how you guys applied that to the 2015 stag bowl now how did now, having had been through an entire off-season post-Stag Bowl, you know, maybe the shortened, compressed off-season or whatever, what did you, you know, what do you take from that and uh, what did you apply to this this spring and summer? Well, certainly, I mean, it starts with uh, with trying to kind of rebuild. And I know a lot of people say, well, that that's not coach speak. You're just supposed to reload. But I even look back to last year, the team that we were that you might have seen us in week one or two or three was not the team that we were in week 12 or 13 or 14 or 15. And that's the growth and the maturization process that I really love as a coach. So as I look back to a lot of people want to take still shots and put that in their mind, but they don't take the time to go back and remember and reflect how they felt when they were going through those moments. And sitting here a year ago, um, I was very nervous, as I usually am, about how the team's going to come together and gel. And really, it wasn't until about the midpoint of the regular season that we knew we had something uh, that was not just cohesive, but a, a pretty special group of guys. So I sit here this year and I go back to square one all over again. And, and if we're willing to, to work the way our last group worked, then we could be in pretty good shape. I do know the offseason provided us with a fa- fantastic foundation for that. You seem to be very much a, a live in the moment kind of person, right? I, you you got talk, you guys and your players talk about how much, how important it is to kind of stay together as a group and, and try to try to live those moments. Do you feel like you're successful with that now? looking back on it um well if i look back on it then i'm not living in the moment but uh i, I guess <laughs> you know th- this is what i realize i realize the, m- the the more developed a society gets the more we try and make our lives better and simpler and all the electronics gets into everything and everything's you know in in the cloud the, the less likely we are to just enjoy our time together and i think that's really a lost art i, I truly do because everyone's looking for the next great moment or reflecting too too much backwards on a memory instead of just being where you are right now and i think that's one of the things you know you, we talk a lot about the paradox of choice uh, a lot of people would tell us that the more options we have in life the better our, our freedom and, and quality of life is but in reality there's a point in time where there's too much and let's just try and work real hard to to be the best we can today you get asked the last question about you know what we learned uh, what we learned is that the only reason why we had a shot to to make the run we made and go to Salem for the second time was because we had a team that did buy into being the best they can be and and playing well to the best of their ability at that moment and win, lose, uh, whatever came of it, uh, we dealt with it pretty well. A lot of seniors in that group. I'll go back and look at the returning starters. You got uh, two guys on the defensive line, two linebackers, a couple safeties, uh, two guys on the O line, uh, and then Jordan Roberts and Nick Waldvogel. That's a there's a lot of names that are missing from that group from the guys who uh, took the field in that playoff run. 
No question. And it reminds me very, very much of uh, 2011. I don't expect our, the, our listeners to remember the group that we lost in 2011 necessarily, but 2011 was uh, after we uh, uh, got done with that season, it was we had to say goodbye to Fritz Waldvogel and Dakota Tracy and Willie Barigi and Colin Tobin and Logan Mark, some, some guys that were really, really good football players. And I think going back, I think we had four guys on that, that were on your All-American list that we graduated. And uh, we had to bounce back the next year. And certainly 2012 was a very good year for us. But we had to redefine ourselves and do it different ways. And I think that's really important for us to understand. I mean, we... I just said in the last question, we weren't the team in week 15 that we were in week four, and we can't be the same team from year to year. So going into it, yeah, Charlie Dowdle, big shoes to fill, right? Um, uh, guy like, um, a guy like Eric Sutton or Timmy McClanahan on defense, big shoes to fill. But I do think that we've proven over time that we have a program that is truly a program and not just a good team. We've talked about that before on the podcast, and the difference is when given an opportunity, those guys step up. It's very important to remember those guys that we cry about saying goodbye to, and I do cry when I think about saying goodbye to those guys because I love them. Those are also guys that had to fill roles of other All-Americans that had to leave, and uh, now we have a new group of guys, and their time is now. So schematically, I mean, obviously, you you know some things about uh, your running game that you didn't know at this point last season, right? I mean, Jordan Roberts turned out to be the one of the best offensive players in Division III. Uh, how, does that, uh, how does that change what you guys plan and how you guys look at this season, especially with a new quarterback? Uh, well, and, and whoever the quarterback ends up being, it's awfully nice to know that you have guys like uh, Tucker Treadle and certainly Jordan Roberts that you mentioned before uh, who had done it. Maybe if, if someone pays real close attention, uh, you'll see one of the biggest losses is actually a guy that not many people know about in Dom Tricolo, who was who led the way. Um, but it, go having knowns. Um, pros and cons to everything it's good to know what you can rely on but it's also very important that we don't get locked into just just saying that's the only way to win um offensively schematically we were able to run the ball and run the ball effectively uh the vast majority of the season uh, that's not to say that it's going to be exactly the same way this year and we have to try and reinvent ourselves not just in terms of personnel placement but what we do schematically and i think the the talent that we do have returning i mean you're looking at guys like you know you have uh, you have a guy like matt christensen jordan roberts nick waldvogel those are some pretty good football players and so we'll have to we'll have to get back to trying to figure out how they can be the best it's not going to be a carbon copy of 2015 and you know what? That's the beauty of every year. It always changes. All right. Pretty high profile, at least in, in terms of uh, local in this area, I guess, announcement of a transfer coming your way in terms of uh, Jock Green. I don't even know how to pronounce his first name because I don't follow Division One football. Did I not get that right? You said Jock Green. Jock Green. Jack Perez. See, I combined two people together. So the other guy is Gabe Green, who was, uh, I guess, a, a redshirt last year at Southern Miss. These are two guys who uh, had, I guess, have Division One pedigrees who are going to come in here and, and try to play quarterback for you? Yeah, very fortunate to be able to get those guys. Alex Fenske is a name that a lot of people would remember as well. So Alex, when we had the, the 2000... 13 season where we lost our one and our two and our three quarterback alex was uh sophomore so he played a little bit but yeah Jacques para uh you know local product and he's uh he's a phenomenal kid i think a tremendously talented quarterback very intuitive reminds me in many ways 
uh, not physically, of Johnny Gould, but reminds me in many ways in how he plays the game and how he mitigates the game. Uh, and as you said, Gabe as well coming in, uh, two guys that I think are looking for an opportunity to compete. And I think you guys would know me well enough to know that I certainly don't overpromise things, but I, I would say you're going to have a great opportunity to compete just like I would with anybody. And those guys have bought in and, and Jacques uh, had a tremendous spring. So there's no FCS programs in this state. And there's a handful of D2 schools, but, you know, uh, uh, for a while, I guess maybe about a decade ago, St. John's was a target or a, a destination for a lot of kids transferring from scholarship programs, looking to come back and maybe find some playing time or whatever it is that we all love about Division Three, right? Uh, and now it seems like you guys are beginning to be kind of the magnet bringing some of those kids back as well. I hope so, and I'm sure every school is going to get uh, uh, a guy here or there who transfers back. We've been very blessed. We've we've certainly had uh, more than our fair share of transfers, and I think the track record of those guys that have come back and had positive experiences and played very well and fortunately won a lot of games and then went off and got jobs before they even graduated, I think that that track record, uh, that reputation might precede us a little bit. And so when there is a young man who's out there at a FCS school or even a Division II school, quite often, um, you know, we'll, we'll, if they're not uh, going to stay there, we get an opportunity to get into that mix. I've been in this office a few times, uh, but one of the things I'm noticing maybe for the first time is your bookshelf over here. Um, when you're, I'm looking at, like, first of all, the Lee Iacocca autobiography, which I think everybody read in the in 1986 or so, um, and uh, all sorts of things, a tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell, that sort of thing. Um, what are the, when you're, if, if you ever have downtime as a, uh, as a head football coach, what is it uh, off of this shelf that you most find interesting or would pull out and read again? Uh, that's probably the coolest question I think I've gotten from a football interview all year long. Seriously, um, I love reading. I'm not good at it, but I do love it. Um, I had an opportunity. We had a vacation a couple weeks ago. You know, you take the fourth off, and I had a chance to to get away and turn the cell phone off and sit for a week and just read. And I, I, I read seven books. Um, and, and most of those uh, revolve around human nature. I mean, we've, I think we've spoken before about uh, Malcolm Gladwell and the man crush that I have on him. I've got, I've got every book that he's ever written. I, just, I think he understands human nature. It, it is. It's the, the Bible, as you see right here, and the four to the right of it are Malcolm Gladwell books. Um, I, I do like that. Um, certainly a lot of the, a, a lot of the uh, human nature and, and mitigation of anxiety, a book like Flow, um, I like that. Lee Iacocca, he was a big one in our house. I mean, you're right. That was kind of iconic in the, in the late 70s and the 80s in everyone's house. And he was a big deal because he was an Italian-American that took over a program that was fledging and turned it around into an institution. And so uh, his books always sit on our shelf. But I have to say, your, our younger listeners are not going to know that institution, so you might have to... Uh, Lee Iacocca? Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, here's a guy. He's a guy from Pennsylvania. First generation Italian American. And, uh, and he takes over Chrysler. And I love it because when he goes, when he goes back to Chrysler, everyone, very similar questions to what we got here. When we first got here, they were, uh, you know, the questions were, well, how big can you get? How big can you get? And he said, you know what? We're not going to worry about getting big. We're going to worry about getting good. We're going to worry about changing the critical mass and the attitude and, and the cultural tenets of the program. And then once we have that going in the right direction, then we'll continue to grow and certainly what he did uh through his run with chrysler was fantastic so I, anyone who's who's born before 1984 should probably go out there and and read the autobiography on lee iacocca 
All right. So uh, over the course of the last few years, I've heard you say a few times it took how much work it took to get from whatever number ranking you guys say you were at when you came in to the program. I, I think you you have a, a little bit of a lower number than we had in 2008 or whatever for you guys. But regardless, to get from that point to number two, uh, which where you've been a couple times, is a pretty significant jump. Uh, I've asked a lot of coaches, especially during the course of this uh, set of podcasts here over the summer, what separates you guys from you know making that next step. And you guys are made half of that step already, right? So what separates you from, I guess, we could still say Whitewater for another year or so, but you guys in the Mountain Unions in Division Three? Uh, well, I think a lot, uh, probably a lot more than people pay attention to, I think separates us. And I think one of those things, you know, sure, we made a big jump. Once you get into a routinely top 10 type area, if you're fortunate enough to do that, um, then you don't realize there's still two more steps after that. <laughs> and certainly the top of that being, as you pointed out, uh, Whitewater and, and Mount Union, which uh, which has now beaten us twice. Um, but I think what people don't often pay attention to is the longevity that you go against. And that's what makes a team like Mount Union so wildly impressive. And I can't echo that strongly enough is that they have been you know we just made our second trip to the stag bowl and that was great and we learned a lot between trip one and trip two that was phenomenal i think they made trip 21 last year i think is what it was so, somewhere in there if i'm off by four or five right that tells you how dominant they are so i think what a lot of people don't realize is it's cultural you know when you walked in here uh, a little while ago we were going over our golf outing you know and and now that we realize we've been here nine years you start to see how your golf outing and how your alumni base and how your uh, leadership has grown throughout the years well well mount union through the the guidance certainly of of vince but is uh, larry in the foundation that that he laid there and still continues to work on i think a lot of people don't realize it's one thing to get there it's another thing to routinely be there and and put white water in the same boat right i mean absolutely right in the same boat so uh what do we have to do to get there i, I do know this uh we're not white water and we're not mount union and that's not i'm not going to say that that we can't compete and beat those teams because you know, that's what we work to do every day. The, the point is, is that we have to be the best St. Thomas we can be. That's the only way that any team, I think, has a chance. I don't think uh, any team that's worth their salt goes into it and says, well, I got to be, if, if all I did was judge myself by being one more point better than the opponent, then what does that really tell us? We've got to have some more intrinsic rewards. And I think we're moving, I know we're moving in the right direction, but every time that we have another year where where we're able to probably surprise some people and do some things that other people don't think we can do. I think that that uh, just reiterates that longevity that we're trying to have here. And uh, there were a lot of people that when we came here, I think, thought we would be early in and early out. And who's the next guy and where is he leaving to? And now we're going on year nine and really proud to be able to do so. As we welcome back in Keith McMillan, uh, a lot here to react to. And, uh, you know, I've asked several coaches what separates them from the top couple of teams in Division Three, but Caruso's the furthest up that ladder of anyone we've talked to this offseason. And, and even then, yet, uh, uh, as he says, there's still quite a ways to go, especially for a, a program or even for a program that's been in the Stag Bowl twice now in the past four seasons. You know, Glenn is always so passionate and, and so often refreshing. Uh, he probably says it better than, than you and I can, you know, as, as far as what it takes um, to get from the top couple, you know, top group of teams to that really top couple. There's getting to another level, right? Being perennial top 10, top 25. And in D3, there's actually a level beyond top 10, which is doing what Whitewater has done since 2005 and what Mountain Union has done since 93, or, you know, whenever you determine their run really began. 
But I think also, you know, we in sports can overreact to the results of one game. You remember the stag ball was 14 all at the half last year. It was 35-28 at the start of the fourth quarter. And while there was no doubt that night belonged to Mount Union, it, w- it was their night, the way they finished it off, you know, it's hard for me to say St. Thomas isn't on the same level. Now, sure, they haven't been to 19 stag bowls. I actually counted, uh, including the past 11. But, but uh, interpreted another way, Glenn's being modest, right, whether he knows it or not. Uh, he's built one of the few D3 programs that belongs on the same field as Mount Union and at least comes into a matchup with the Purple Raiders providing enough intrigue to, to cast some doubt on the outcome. If I were playing uh, devil's advocate, I would just remind people that, yeah, the, the score of that game was close at that time, but St. Thomas got every bounce, including some really strange ones, in order to stay that close. But regardless, yes, uh, the game was close and it was uh, close near the end. What did you think about uh, his take on upper-level transfers? It does really seem like St. Thomas is getting a number of key transfers from D1 and D2 schools. And he mentioned FCS, but of course, you know, that's a Big Ten transfer that's coming in as well. Yeah, you remember a long time ago when we first started doing this and and, um, Rowan was criticized for taking on so many transfers? Um, I think once you get to a certain point as a program and Rowan was there and St. Thomas is now as teams who can reach the stag bowl, if not win it, is that, uh, you know, those programs sell themselves, right? Winning is probably one of the best recruiting tools there is. Mount Union gets transfers. Sam Riddle, our, our, our All-American quarterback from Linfield, he's a transfer. Jordan Roberts, the All-American from uh, St. Thomas, he's a transfer. Almost every good D3 team has a few, and, you know, you can't win with transfers alone. You have to have a really solid base of, uh, of legitimate D3 players who have kind of um, you know, mostly self-made guys or guys who kind of earned it over the course of time. But uh, but almost every good D3 team has players who have or could have played at, uh, at bigger schools. And regardless of whether a school actively recruits them or they fall in the coach's lap, as, as the case we talked about earlier, uh, you know, if they recruit themselves to the school, players seek out winning and they seek out winners. So for a guy to leave a scholarship school for a non-scholarship – you know, he's probably looking for a good experience first. And a lot of times the potential to win comes along with that. And I think maybe those two gets for St. Thomas are uh, another sign of uh, of how far uh, they've come. Uh, Tommy's took a big hit last time after going to the Stag Bowl, slipping from 14-1 and one to 8-2 and two and out of the playoffs. This year as well, coming off a team in which they lose 26 seniors. You know, one would think you could say the same, except Caruso and his assistants do really seem focused on learning from their previous experiences. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I think that losing that those 26 seniors is is really a big deal. And we mentioned, you know, what Mount Union loses. So, again, as we we're putting together that top 25, you, you know, your first instinct is to start with the two teams that were the best two teams at the end of last year. And if you remember semifinal weekend it was like the first semifinal weekend in several years where we haven't had like a nail biter you know it was clearly two teams that belonged in the stag bowl um but they both lost so much um but i also think that year where you slip from from 14 and 1 to 8 and 2 can be a little misleading because that 8 and 2 is really just a one game difference from being 9 and 1 and and as we know here in D3 8 and 2 teams generally miss the postseason 9 and 1 teams have a lot better chance of getting in and then have that potential to win several more games so the year you get left out is the year you don't play those playoff games and so the 14 and 1 suddenly looks like it's so far from 8 and 2 Although in reality, you know, the quality of team might have been similar. You know, you get one different bounce or you lose a game you should have won. And, and suddenly you're 9-1 and one and in the playoffs, 
eight and two left out. Uh, the biggest hit, as our longtime listeners know, from those years when a team misses the playoffs uh, after that deep run, is that the team gets several fewer weeks of practice experience for those 58 top guys, or actually, really, the whole team pra- can practice. Yep. Just the 58 guys get to travel. And you know, if we've learned nothing from the purple dominance um, from 2005 to now. Uh, it's that having those extra weeks of practice year after year is a real difference maker. Meanwhile, I have to admit to not having read any Malcolm Gladwell, and it, his podcast revisionist history is sitting in my phone here, uh, so far unlistened to. Nor have I actually read Lee Iacocca's autobiography. That's a good like social promo or something like that. It's like figure out which uh, D three receiver ends up at Mount Union and what books Glenn Caruso likes to read or something like like, like think <laughs> think about go. how much ground we cover here on these podcasts. I I really love the um. The off-season interview format, and I think uh, at our meeting back in uh, July, you know, we talked about um, about you know keeping interviews a part of the podcast as we get into the season. I'm actually making a note of those things right now, actually, as promos in social media. It's like I should be able to do that. It's like I did that for a living. Now we're joined by Ed Hoddle, entering his sixth season as the head coach at Stevenson University, a program that, uh, I'd say, one win away from the playoffs, potentially last season, uh, coming off 8-3, and three, then 9-2. and two. Not a ton of seniors in key roles last year either, so I would think that enthusiasm has to be pretty high coming into this season. We're excited. Um, we've got a really strong core group of guys that are back. Um, you know, the guys that are going to fill in for, for who we did lose to graduation, um, you know, have a ton of game experience, and we're super excited. Um, you know, I will talk a little bit later about, you know, some of those guys who are playing key roles, you know, um, and, you know, who kind of fits where. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the program as a whole first. Um, you know, first of all, uh, obviously the football program is a growing program. You're in your sixth season, and so is the program itself. You're the only football coach that they've had here. Um, the university is, uh, is growing. The athletic department is growing. How does football kind of fit into that whole, that whole structure, that whole strategy? Um, you know, bringing football here was, was, I think, a natural fit in the eyes of the administration. Um, you know, it was something that I think was very carefully thought out. Um, and, and now, as we're going into year number six, it's really, I think it's really five marquee events on campus in the fall. Um, you know, we've got a lot of great sports here. You know, men's lacrosse is outstanding. Uh, women's volleyball is outstanding. Um, and, we, you know, we've just kind of followed the breadcrumb trail as to, you know, how things were built um, even prior to having football. So it fits really well in, into the campus community. And, I, you know, it's a very exciting place to come on a Saturday afternoon for a football game. You know, we sell out just about every game. People are excited that we're here. Um, you know, in Owings Mills, you know, you, you run into the Home Depot to get, a, you know, get whatever. And, and, you know, the manager will stop you. Hey, you're the football coach. I'm coming to the game Saturday. So, you know, even though we're not in a really small town, you know, Owings Mills isn't that big of a community. So it's exciting to kind of, you know, to have the local support as well. Yeah, Stevenson in the Baltimore suburbs, the northwest Baltimore suburbs, if I got that correctly. 
Um, it's not like I spent 15 years living just down the road in Washington. I should know those sorts of things. Um, the, uh, you, you talked about one of the things that I think that we've discovered that is one of the key reasons why schools add football at the Division three level. In a lot of cases, it's enrollment-driven, but what I heard you talk about was school spirit. And uh, is, that, is that kind of the case? It's like a commuter school and the, the events help keep people on campus and kind of generate some of that spirit about the university? Well, I think as we've transitioned from Villa Julie College to Stevenson University, um, you know, Villa Julie didn't have dorms. You know, now we have dorms. There's 2,500 residential students here on campus. I think it was, again, viewed as the next progression to transitioning from, you know, the Villa Julie commuter college kind of situation into a more residential campus. Um, and our students do a, a remarkable job on Saturdays. Um, you guys, obviously, like I mentioned, we were uh, a win away from a playoff berth last year, or a win away from a potential playoff berth, obviously. We make no assumptions about teams that are 9-1 and one around here. But, um, you know, this you, you've uh, been on a tremendous growth spurt. You know, how is that – I wanted to – ask about specifically, you know, sometimes teams that are in that fifth season, you know, you have that huge first couple of recruiting classes, you have a ton of seniors in that fourth year, and then sometimes year five is like a bit of a, a step or a step and a half back, and then it's not until six, seven, or eight when the next wave becomes upperclassmen. You guys didn't have that problem. We didn't. Um, you know, and when we started football, we talked about that. You know, we knew that that first class, when they were to, when they were going to graduate, um, you know, that was something that I was very much anticipating. But I think through, you know, through injury, through, you know, competition and practice, we were able to cultivate that talent. Um, you know, the, the guys that came in as sophomores, you know, after the first year, you know, there was a, a tremendous number of those guys that were able to earn starting spots and, and played significant roles. Um, and that's helped us, you know, kind of bridge that span of losing so many, you know, quality players and quality people where we didn't have that fifth year dip. Um, and hopefully we can continue, you know, continue the growth this year. And you guys are trying to make this growth in a conference that's had a significant number of contenders over the past few years, Delaware Valley, uh, Widener. You know, it's been a couple of years since we've really talked about Lyco, but Lyco as well. You know, that's a, that's a top echelon that uh, traditionally has been pretty, pretty tough to crack. It is, you know, and you hear football coaches all the time talk about, well, you know, this conference is tough. I think when you look at the MAC, you know, it, it is week in and week out. You know, you've got to you've got to bring your A game, and um, you know, you, looking back at, at the Albright game, you know, I I don't know how well we played in that particular game, and I think part of it is um, the stress that comes with winning. You know, and, and you kind of have to you kind of have to learn how to handle the stress of winning as much as anything else. And, you know, and, and I think I learned a lot in how to handle those situations last year. Um, you know, but again, you know, our, our guys do a great job. And, um, you know, the Mac is a challenge. You, you know, you've got so many teams, you know, Widener, Albright, DelVal, you know, Lycoming, um, you know, the, the Kings and the Wilkes, you know, you, you see them getting better. Um, so it's, it's a league where, you, you know, you really got you really got to bring it. You touched on something, expectations, right? You know, coming off an eight and three season and now coming off a nine and two season, you know, those kids, however many are going to report in the fall or in August, are going to have some pretty significant expectations for this season. Well, you know, I've said it from day one here. You know, I, I, I've a lot of questions. What do you expect? And, and, and in my mind, you know, we prepare here to win 10. 
you know, and, and then we'll figure out what happens after that. So, you know, our guys are, I think people kind of looked at me funny when I said that in, in year one, two, and, and probably year three, you know, there's no way you're going to win 10. And, and in the back of our mind, we probably knew that, but we prepared for that, and our guys always heard that. And I think there's, that's starting to pay dividends. That's the expectation here, whether or not you're, you're, in the football program or in the lacrosse program or, you know, the expectation is, is that you're going to be successful. Um, and for us, you know, we talk about winning in the classroom and, 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 you know, we've probably the most exciting thing for me in this whole process is, you know, we've moved away from the flashy recruit. Now, not to say that some of our recruits are flashy. It's, you know, we, we really work hard to recruit the best overall student athlete that we can. And that's really, really helped us. Um, you know, our, our vice president and enrollment and I have really worked closely to, you know, from day one to, to year six to really change that dynamic and who it is we recruit because we want the guys that are now going to be in the program for four years and not necessarily help you win, you know, in, in week two of year one or two, but they're going to help you win and sustain that because, you know, they can be here academically and they're committed to the university as a whole. So talk about the retention a little bit. What's the senior class look like? What was the size of the senior class last year, or senior class this upcoming season, that sort of thing? Um, you know, we, we kind of subscribe to the, you know, if, if we're going to compete at a national level, we, we've got to have 25 to 30 seniors kind of leading the charge. So um, we go out and recruit now. We, we try to identify and successfully recruit somewhere in the neighborhood of some between 40 and 50 a year. Um, you know, and that, with injury and attrition and things like that that happen in Division Three football, um, it, it's important to us that we have that, that strong core year after year after year after year. Um, and, and it's allowed us to, to ha I think, have the success we've had over the last two seasons and hopefully, you know, sustain that success not only through 2016 but through 17, 18, 19. Um, you know, and, and you hear people, you know, all over, the, we get questions a lot during the recruiting process. Well, how many guys are on your roster? Well, we'll, we'll have about 140. Are, you know, are we the biggest in the country? No. Are we definitely on the large side? Absolutely. Um, but, again, that helps us in the retention part as far as having a large senior class that can really lead, you know, and, and do all of the things we want to get done. Uh, aside from what goes on on the field, some of the things just around the Stevenson program have always been pretty impressive, kind of from day one. Uh, this is an amazing stadium. Uh, I know you can't hear you can't hear it here on the podcast, but uh, this is a, an amazing uh, facility that you guys have to play in. There have been a lot of bells and whistles around the program. I mean, you know, you, you talk about you know people coming out to see you guys. You know, this is a program for those who don't know that does advanced ticket sales, and that's fairly rare still in Division Three. There's there's not a lot of places where you go out and buy a season ticket to a Division Three program that's not Mountain Union or Whitewater. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of the, the focus around uh, elevating the things that uh, come come around the program as well. We, we, we want to be uncommon. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting you say that season tickets go on sale Monday, yeah. um, and they'll probably sell 150, 200 sets of, of tickets Monday morning. Um, you know, it's just a commitment that the university has made to um, – one of the sayings here is, you know, we can give an athlete a Division One experience at a Division Three school, and you really have the best of both worlds. So, um, you know, from top to bottom, from President Manning on down, I think it's been – you know, it's been that focus. Um, you know, we've done it with lacrosse, and it's worked. And we, we do it with our other sports, and it works. And, you know, why not do it with football? 
Um, so, you know, as you look at it, you know, you, you know, you look at, you know, fireworks during the national anthem at home games and, um, you know, the stadium entrance and all those things. And, and you know, I, I hear the detractors out there, and, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, we want to give our guys the single best experience that we can. And, um, you know, the mission of the university is is very much tied tied into that. And it, and it makes it very exciting. All right. So, some years ago, before you came here, you were an assistant coach at Wesley. They're kind of the prominent Division three program in this area of the country. What's the what's the gap between like the top teams in the MAC and consistently competing on a national level like Wesley does? Um, I think it's very very small. I, I think that that that. that it, it, you know where it's going. Is it getting smaller? Is it getting larger? You know, I, I, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that stuff outside of our program, um, but I, I don't think it's as wide of a gap as as it may appear. I mean, you know, you look at a widener, you know, national quarterfinals. I think two years ago, um, you know, Albright's draw. You know, they, they I think they got. Uh, I don't remember who they got in the first round, but they had to go to you know had to go to Alliance in round two last year. Um, you know that that's tough. You know were they a, a team that could have advanced had they been in a, in a different part of the bracket? Maybe. Um, you know, so I I think it's getting smaller and smaller um, because of the commitment that all of the institutions in the MAC are making to winning football games. All right. So if if people know one guy who takes the field for you guys, I'm guessing it's Austin, Tennessee, the defensive back. Um, yeah, but tell us a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about him first of all, and then some of the other guys who are playing key roles for you guys this year. Um, you know, Austin's a, just an outstanding young man. Um, been with us. He'll be a four-year starter, a three-year captain this year. Um, you know, just a tremendous competitor, tremendous player for us. Um, you know, our, our secondary is is awesome. You know, just, and, and I think what really makes them special to me is the the quality of individual that they are. Um, off the field, you know, just good guys. They're down here all the time. Billy Lewis, um, he'll be also be a four-year starter, three-year captain. Um, you know, he'll be a senior this year at safety. Um, you know, again, just really, really good guys. And I try to keep myself from thinking into 2017 when I'm going to look out there and those guys are gone. And you know, kind of preparing myself because you know, going into 15 was very, very different because we had that group of seniors. I'm sorry, going into 14, we had that group of seniors for four and a half years. And when we went to spring, that first spring without them, it was very different. And, and I anticipate much of the same feeling when those guys are not out there. You know, Jimmy Lauer's another one. You know, um, he'll be a, a three-year starter for us at, at the other corner spot. Um, so it's, it's, it'll be interesting without him. Um, you know, defensively, you know, Austin Myers, you know, he'll be a two-year starter for us. Great guy. He and I spent about six hours yesterday counting shoulder pads and helmets. Okay. Um, you know, awesome guy. Nick Jashera, tackle uh, on the offensive side. You know, awesome kid doing a great job. So we've got a really good group of guys here right now. Quarterback, you guys kind of changed back and forth between a couple of guys last year. What's it look like uh, going into camp? Um, pretty, pretty steady. You know, Dan, uh, Dan Williams had the ACL against Leval last year. Um, you know, and, and we made the change in game, and we were pretty excited with, with what he was doing, with what the progress he had made in practice. And I think he took four or five snaps, and you know, tore the ACL. And we, we ended up going with Brad Harmon, the freshman, last year. Um, 
you know, so I, I think we're in a pretty good spot. You know, we're excited about the competition at that position. Um, you know, Coach Larson, the quarterbacks coach in OC, does a remarkable job. I don't know how he finds the time during camp to, to chart every throw, um, chart every read, and really gives those guys an honest evaluation. So, you know, that, that competition in practice during camp, I think, is going to make, make those guys better. Uh, makes our job harder, but it makes those guys so much better. So it's going to be an exciting position to watch. You're in your last few days here of anything resembling sanity, I suppose. Uh, when does when does camp open? How many uh, kids are you expecting? Uh, we'll be in on the 12th of August. Uh, I think we're at 141 right now. Keith, going back to the beginning of this interview, we talked about the year five problem, the one where schools tend to backslide after graduating their first senior class, and, and Stevenson did not have that. I'm trying to recall whether Stevenson was one of the schools that uh, recruited a full class but, but didn't actually play until the second season on campus. In other words, there were, there's sort of two ways to do the, the first year uh, as you expand and create a new program. And some schools will, um, will actually recruit a, a whole freshman class and they don't have any games that year, but they're on campus and they're getting. And then when they start their first year of actually playing, they actually have two classes and they're sort of one year further down the line. But regardless, it sounded like um, from what Hoddle said that they were both fortunate to have a group that developed into a solid fifth-year class, but it also sounded like it was done by design, where they recruit in, in numbers and, and over time the best players and best leaders, which are not always one and the same, emerge as a solid senior class that sets the path for the classes that come behind it. And, and that's the difference really with building a program and not just building a good team. You know, Caruso said that earlier. Right, it, it, St. Thomas is on a different scale than, than Stevenson was as a new program, but pretty consistently good programs have wave after wave of solid classes. Um, Pacific is another good example of a team that had the year four breakthrough where the first class recruited got so much playing time that they were bound to be good as seniors, but then has remained steadily competitive in years five and six. And now going into seven, you can take them uh, as a serious threat. I, I cast a top 25 vote uh, this time around for Stevenson. Uh, which is saying something about the reputation Ed Hoddle and his crew have built. Uh, I'm pretty sure I did too, although I do not have the ballot in front of me. Um, so the, one of the other things that we talked about is uh, just the kind of uh, the... the <laughs> you said accoutrements earlier, and that's the word that's in my head. That's an actual word, folks. That's not something that we made up. Um, about uh, you know, uh, getting the Division One experience at a Division Three school, and and that is something that you know you and I have been on Stevenson cam Stevenson's campus a couple of times. It's a very impressive stadium. Uh, they do a lot of stuff around the game as well as uh, stuff you know in game, and it does seem like they're really trying to elevate the whole package, not just the uh, the play on the field. Yeah, I mean, it it does start with the facility, and in a lot of ways, it's impressive. Um, but I think being able to break through into the town is something that a lot of D3 schools have trouble doing because your campus is often so isolated, whether you're in a city or whether you're in a, you know, kind of a suburbs or you, whether you're way out in the country. The campus is almost always enclosed and it's hard to, to, to you almost have to force yourself to break through break through or, or kind of get out of the shell and get into the town, get into the community and make the relationships that make people care about your team because, you, you know, nobody, it's like people are born Crimson Tide fans or you're born rooting for Wisconsin or whatever it is. A lot of times you come to D3 through a family member or, or um, having coach there or being alma mater. Um, very rarely is because you live in the same town. And so I thought that was kind of neat that he said that they actually are able in Owings Mills to get you know, local community to come out to the games.
And now we're joined by Howard Payne, athletic director and head football coach Hunter Sims. Uh, we caught up with him at the NACTA convention, which would be the National Association of Collegiate Directors of Athletics uh, in Dallas in June. Uh, but uh, first of all, uh, Coach, thanks for joining us. Secondly, uh, a very busy uh, offseason now for you, having recently been named both head football coach and then athletic director at Howard Payne. Yeah, I was joking around uh, with my wife about it um, the other day about how we're, we're not going to truly have an off season uh, coming up for, for maybe a, a few years. And um, she's great with our kids and a great trooper about it. But uh, everybody asks me how I'm doing, and I usually tell them so far so busy. Um, good being in the summer a little bit. Um, love the kids being there, but it's also nice to have a little bit of office time and work as well. Yeah, there are not many uh, coach slash athletic directors at any level in uh, in the NCA anymore. I know it's like actively actively discouraged in Division Two. I can't imagine it's possible in Division One, um, and I can only think of a couple of other Division Three coaches who are wearing both hats. Yeah, uh, one of my mentors who helped me throughout this process so far is uh, Dennis Dunn, who is at um, Louisiana College and who is in our conference and uh, has always um, been really good to me and their whole staff, Clay Matchett and Justin Charles, and uh, developed a really good relationship with them. And I was able to branch out to him uh, throughout the interview process. And when I told him that this is something I really wanted to consider doing, he has been a great resource for me. Um, having been in both those roles for about three years now, I think, so he could kind of give me the pros and cons of, um, of of each roles, and then obviously combined. And and I think when I was uh, kind of going going through some advising with him, I, I think he he informed me that there was maybe three others in Division Three uh, that were athletic director, head football coach, somewhere in that range, because he researched it himself. But um, he he helped me a lot in, in the process, and so uh, I'm with you. I, I don't think there's a lot, but I'm super excited about what Howard Payne has has to offer. I would ask you about how you balance both roles, but you haven't been through a football season as uh, as head coach yet, so I don't know if you even know that yet. Yeah, that, that's a great point, but um, one thing, uh, Roger Geis, who was the head coach before me, he uh, was was so gracious to me and, and helping me prepare to be a head coach. I think that was one of his goals. Uh, you know, for my thought process was to help me become. And so uh, he let me handle the budget the last couple of years and the scheduling, just kind of some of the more the, the head coaching aspects. So I had a really good grasp of, of what I needed to do from that perspective. And it's also taken on the, the AD role. Um, that, that's been a little bit uh, challenging, but fun at the same time. I, I have to do something to, to keep myself on track and working with Sharon Riker, our uh, senior women's administrator. Uh, we, we have have a daily planner that we go through of, of knowing which times I'm going to be working on, on certain uh, events or aspects about the job. And so as long as I think you can stay on track throughout the day, it's definitely manageable. Now, as both an administrator and coach, I imagine your perspective is a little bit wider on the changes that have come in within the conference over the last couple of years. A lot of them have directly impacted football. Uh, some of them, you know, have been announced but uh, are yet to see fruition. But, you know, how do you feel about the way the ASC landscape has changed over the last few years? Um, I think it's really great. I think the ASC coaches um, do a really good job of working together. One thing that I was really shocked on uh, going to some of the ASC head coaches meetings and then the athletic directors and FAR meetings is is how well the, the coaches and um, the conference pulled together. Uh, I was I was absolutely blown away uh, with, with how everybody wants what's best for the conference. I thought it would be more of an aspect of, hey, let's kind of do what's best for our program, our, our 
area, our university, but um, as a whole, there, there's been a very good cohesive unit uh, with the head football coaches and athletic directors to do what's best for the conference to get as many teams in the playoff as possible, but, but more than anything, impact the lives of our student-athletes. Your conference schedule gets bigger, and it will continue to get bigger, but for the moment you guys have been playing uh, Wayland Baptist and Southwestern Adventist and, and that sort of thing, a couple of non-D3 schools over the past couple of years. When you talk about doing what's best for the conference in terms of getting multiple teams in, obviously playing D3 opponents as much as possible has got to be part of that. Is that something that you see going forward for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I know that, like you said, the conference is expanding over the next couple of years, which will put us at nine conference games and only one non-conference game, so uh, just through fruition, that'll that'll be possible, uh, you know. But one thing that limits us is is just geographically uh, who to play, and sometimes it's more important to just get a game on the schedule than necessarily seeing the opponent. And uh, you know, in, in in the state of Texas and NAI and Division Three, there's always really strong opponents. And so, I think for as much as anything, we, you know, for our kids, it's just a chance to play. And, and have competition, but but I absolutely see that. I think that's absolutely the the way to go. You need to play schools in in your region and at your level, and and do the best for your program. But more importantly, for the conference to get as many schools in the playoffs as possible. Uh, programs kind of struggled over the past few years. One and nine this past season. Three times in the past five. You know where do, where does this? Uh, what what are the bright sides? How does this start to turn around? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just giving our kids confidence uh, to, to what they're doing and believing in themselves. I think that uh, our guys have done a, done a really good job of that, of, of bouncing back. Uh, we, we lost some, some key seniors, but that could also be a good thing because we have a new chance for a new leadership uh, com, coming over. And I, and I think with uh, football-wise, just, just adding a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator, I think that'll speak for itself uh, just with the, with the experience and the enthusiasm that we're bringing there. And uh, confidence goes goes so far. And I think that's, that's where our kids have lacked a, l a little bit, um, just being honest. And uh, I think that, that if we can do a good job instilling that through, through two days in fall camp, that we'll do a better job of setting ourselves up for a better season. You guys have one of the huge programs in Division Three, and, and you know, obviously, maybe not too surprising for the state of Texas, but I think you have 180 kids, kind of generally, given give, give or take any given year. How do you guys manage that group? Yeah, the uh, best thing that our university has done is they've allowed us to have graduate assistants. So we have uh, six full-time coaches, including myself, and then currently we've got four graduate assistants. So that takes our coaching staff up to ten and typically have two or three student assistants. And so uh, as long as we can kind of keep the ratio just personally uh, to about one to 15, um, you know, coach, player, player to coach, I think that, that you're going to be doing what you set out to do is influence these kids' lives for the better to win championships at life and not necessarily just championships on the field. But we also know the best way to reach kids is also to win and win championships as well. I thought you were going to say one of the things the school has allowed us to do is have 180 kids on the football team because not everybody is uh, is into that. But I assume that the uh, that the university is happy about the number of kids you guys are just bringing into the school. Well, they want to make sure that, like you said, that we're able to handle that and manage it. I think if we didn't have those graduate assistants, they'd want us to pull back on it. Howard Payne's a unique place. Uh, Brownwood's a small town, a, a pretty uh, small, tight-knit community, about 30,000, 40,000. And uh, it's not very 
very conducive to have an overwhelming number of uh, student athletes on the football team um, because if we can't have that intimate relationship like they do through, throughout the town of Brownwood and on campus, then uh, we're kind of contradicting ourselves um, on the team uh, where our, our teacher to student ratio in class is 1 to 10. And so we'd like to stay somewhere in that ballpark, you know, 1 to 10, 1 to 15 student coach, student teacher. Tell us a little bit more specifically about who are the guys who are going to be some of the key guys this year. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to have a really good battle at quarterback with Kaysen Monteith and uh, Brandon Fisk, but both guys who've seen action and playing time. Uh, that, that could be uh, pretty strong, I think, for us. Uh, our tight end position will be a strong position for us as well. Uh, uh, those two guys that are, that are looking to help us out is Eric Haverstock and Jacob Rangel. And then defensively, uh, we're returning Jason Disney, who is a, um, an all-conference player for us and actually led the American Southwest Conference in tackles last year. He's a huge component. And then also uh, another first-team all-conference all guy, uh, Chris Mack, um, who I think was second or third in, uh, in, the, in the nation and pass breakups, but I always give them a hard time because I just tell them that's it's not really truly a stat. The DBs are just receivers that can't catch, and so uh, hopefully if we can improve on uh, his catching skills, maybe we can turn those into interceptions. I love to see how Keith, the former defensive back, uh, reacts to that when, the, uh, when we get his take on the podcast coming up in a minute. Um, if you want to know more about Howard Payne, you will have to pick up kickoff uh, the, uh, the 23rd of August that comes out. I will be asking Coach Sims uh, a little bit more about each of the 22 starters and maybe some of the backups as well, which is what we do every year in kickoff. Uh, Coach, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much. Go Jackets. Keith, DBs, just receivers that can't catch. You down with that? Hey, man, I got yelled at more than once by old Coach Riccio for what I thought was a slick pass breakup that he thought should have been an interception. Turnovers win games, after all, right? Pass breakups just get you another play. Uh, but, yeah, that's a pretty common joke that, that on defense a drop is a good play uh, or that you know or that DBs are just wide receivers who can't catch, which, which isn't really true, right? They're wide receivers who aren't afraid of a little contact. Yeah, Touche. Uh, not many head coach AD combinations in D3, right? Uh, Sims, of course. Mike Drass at Wesley, Dennis Dunn at Louisiana College, Jerry Boys at Buff State seem to be the ones, or at least, you know, once I got to four, I stopped counting. Uh, those other three are all from programs that have had some success, but uh, Sims has a long way to go before he can say Howard Payne has had the same. Yeah, well, we've seen coaches as high up the ladder as Larry Karras hold the dual roles, and it's probably a natural fit if you're running a program that, could, that you're dealing with 100 to 200 student-athletes each season, and you, you know your job is to sort of organize and get the best out of all of them. Shows that you're skilled at time management, working with various skill sets and personalities, and making it all come together as one. You know, an, an AD at a small college is juggling lots of balls from tennis balls or, or you know, small tennis teams, swim teams that only have a few members to big programs with lots of athletes and different needs. So, um, you know, it's no surprise really that, that football coaches get picked to do the AD job, although, uh, you know, with just a few, the few of them that you mentioned doing it, probably uh, the year-round recruiting and fundraising and schedule-making and everything else that goes into the, the job, uh, it's a wonder they have the time. Uh, what's coming around the corner here on D3Football.com? We are well aware we still owe you guys a preseason All-America team. Uh, it's been kind of a challenge because of the, let's see, the number of wide receivers from last year's team who graduated, linebackers, defensive backs, but we're getting the finishing touches on it here in the next few days. Uh, probably look to see it on August 1st. Uh, and we uh, sent the uh, call out on Twitter for uh, fan and uh, reader questions uh, before this uh, podcast recording session started. We got a couple of them, Keith. So uh, 
I want to run through and get uh, your thoughts on a couple of things. Uh, first question from Cooper Cox. That's AC Cox 43. Do you think my boy Tedrick Smith will break the D3 career sack record this year? He currently sits at 36 and a half career sacks. Keith, I looked it up um, to remember, remind myself where Tyree Coleman ended up, and he ended his career with 51 sacks, so that would be 14 and a half. So he's going to need to play probably about 14 games, uh, you know, to give yourself a shot at 14 and a half. Uh, you know, I, I don't, that's right at the, it could be done. You know that's that's the play. that's probably a cool goal to set for yourself too. Like, um, because I think sacks and interceptions, for, you know, both things for defensive players, they're they're better when you know they happen naturally. and You're not chasing after them. Usually, you start chasing after them, you end up, you end up messing up, right? You 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 get out of your uh, what you're supposed to be doing, and you start trying to pad your stats. I remember getting getting beat for a touchdown that way. Uh, against someone who had no business beating me for a touchdown, but I was trying to bait bait the quarterback into a throw late in a blowout, and I did it, and it worked, and he threw it right over my head. So, I mean, sack-wise, you know, those things happen when the rest of your defensive line is playing well. And, and uh, long answer to a short question, if I had to bet, I'd probably bet no. I will say this. I talked with Pete Frettenberg this afternoon. He said one of their goals this year for Smith was to try to uh, you know, try to get him more isolated, try to avoid uh, the double teams and triple teams that he's uh, faced over the course of the last couple of years. You know, obviously how uh, feasible that is is uh, dependent, I suppose, on a lot of things, uh, not just on uh, Mary Harden Baylor's defensive scheme. Well, that's definitely bad news for whoever gets isolated on him. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, wow. I was, yes, all, all of those things. All right, another question from uh, Papa Mentos, who is at Jalusam, J-A-L-U-S-A-M. I'm sure there's probably a better way to pronounce that. Uh, Top-ranked teams have a tough time scheduling non-conference games because teams don't want to hurt their chances of making the playoffs. Anything you could think of so that this is not such a problem? And I would say, of course, Mount Union never seems to have trouble scheduling non-conference games, but, of course, they only have to schedule one of them a year. Yeah, and, they, and it's you know scheduled several years out, and it's it's... They're, they're probably not the best example because they have nine games locked in and the one game is not necessarily, you know, it's not like Mount Union and Wesley play every um, early in the season. Mount Union tried it with playing St. John Fisher when when um, they were pretty good and that didn't didn't work out well. So now it's kind of Mount Union's first game is just like a lot of their other games, uh, a, a pretty big blowout. But for teams um, who, who, you know, to sort of solve this problem, I think the solution was really put in place back when they created the the AQ system, which was for teams with in conferences, they just, just have to win your conference and that way you're you're free to schedule um early season games uh that, that will challenge your team. And you see some programs embrace it. Uh North Central's a good example. Wesley's another good example. Uh even though they've gone from uh having to scrounge for you know take any game they can get now that wesley's in a conference they still look for those kind of those kind of games against other top 25 teams that are going to push them um and then there are teams on that who who just don't you know don't believe it's worth it um you know to, to get that kind of experience so i don't know that you'll ever solve the problem because i think there are sort of differing kinds of philosophies you know if you jump back to the the previous podcast or maybe it was two podcasts ago, and we talked to Mike Franklin. He, you know, one of the we asked him why did why do they play Butler? Mike Leonard right? at Mike Leonard at Franklin. Man, wow! 
just just pretend that I said that really fast and there was a glitch in the podcast. He talked about you know playing Butler is uh, you know they they had their they had their reasons for it. It's it's a close by game. You get to bring the whole hundred uh, or you know whoever's on the roster. You don't have to you know pay for an overnight and uh, it's a good experience to go against a bigger school and all that. So a, a lot of times we just look at it from a competitive standpoint and schools have their reasons for playing who they play. Uh, this was not a question that we recently got, but uh, or at least not that we got on Twitter. But you mentioned suiting up all hundred kids and uh, and 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 traveling them. Someone asked, and it's a pretty frequently asked question, so I thought maybe I'd address it one more time here. Uh, you know, what are the Division Three rules ar- around how many players can suit up for a home game versus a road game? And of course, like many things in the NCAA, this is not actually a rule. The NCAA does not set these sorts of things. Uh, These sorts of guidelines are done on a conference level for regular season games. Uh, If it's a non-conference game, then sometimes that stuff is written into the contract. Sometimes it's just, uh, you know, uh, it's it's just a a free-for-all. In the postseason, of course, each team is limited to 58 players suited up, uh, the number that uh, Keith cited earlier, and that's whether you're the home team or the away team. But, you know, sometimes there are there are conferences that have uh, a limit on the roster size as a whole. You can only have now 125 players uh, if you're a, uh, a team in the NJAC. It used to be 100 for the WIAC, and now it's a little bit uh, larger than that, but not a lot. Um, but, you know, often... There might be a uh, limit imposed by the conference of 60 to 70 kids or something like that, but there's nothing on a Division three wide level. You just kind of have to know what the uh, rules are for your individual conference. You know, and that's kind of what keeps D3 interesting is you're dealing with all these different institutions with different priorities. Then you have different conferences. Some of them start practice later. Uh, some of them start their seasons later and have shorter seasons. And they're, so they're um, there are really a lot of kind of interesting things about it, but I think one thing that's common across uh, almost all of D3 is that when teams play those home games, they want to suit up as many kids as possible because almost every team is trying to recruit numbers, right? Just the way Ed Hoddle talked about earlier, right? You want to have a big, you want to bring in maybe 40 kids in a year or whatever the number is. You want to bring in a lot for a class and you're going to lose some along the way. It's just the nature of of life uh, in college. So as you have those, those big rosters, you know, you... Part of retention is, is, is you know, giving people an opportunity to play. One way to do that, of course, is through the JV programs and having those games uh, you know, on Mondays or, or whenever teams are able to play them. But another way is to just give everybody an opportunity to, set, to suit up on, uh, on Saturdays for the big games. And you, know, you, you may be a freshman and you know, you know you're too far down the depth chart to ever play, but, you know, but you know, you're on the team and you're on the sideline uh, for the game. It, it does make a difference. By the time uh, we chat with you folks next, we will be uh, well, well into 2016-17 and the 2016 Division Three football season. I would have to say that uh, considering the amount of time we're going to be spending talking to coaches specifically for kickoff over the course of the next month, we probably will not do this format of a podcast. Keith and I will uh, do a, uh, a shorter version like we did last August. I'm sure all of you remember Um we actually did a, a podcast when we were actually working on kickoff. It'll probably be more along those lines. But again, uh, kickoff, it's 12th season, uh, an online season preview of all 248 Division Three football teams. That's with Nebraska Wesleyan joining uh, from the NAIA. And uh, 
you know, if uh, if you haven't ordered it yet, uh, you can order it now, or you could wait until August 23rd and order it in a rush with everybody else. But uh, if you don't get your password right away, we might be a little overloaded dealing with all those other people ordering at the last minute. So order now. We would appreciate that. Um, and this was Around the Nation podcast number 150. Woohoo! Hey. Yeah. How about that? Released July 27th, 2016. Thanks for listening and tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the preseason. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it. That will help other football fans find it and uh, subscribe to it if you haven't already using the podcast uh, player or a podcast provider of your choice. Thanks for following Division 3 Football on D3Football.com. And I would put the credits in here, but I don't have credits yet. But one of the things I want to get is um, who actually wrote this theme music that seems important those are things that we should have oh right so they do they do do that in the serial and (laughs) exactly you could can you tell i listen to a lot of podcasts this offseason well good but now that i've I've gone from walking and biking to uh to jogging instead uh i don't listen to podcasts when i jog i I need to listen to music it has to have a better beat than uh (laughs) than the newest podcast i hear you well, that was pretty good. I wasn't uh, prepped for Twitter questions, but they were all questions I could answer. <laughs>